All right, we told you last week that shift was starting today. Well, it's not, okay? It's starting next week because the last week I was just like, I need to give you guys another message in the How to Be Happy series, okay? God put it on my heart and I was like, I got, still got stuff to say. God still got stuff to say. So sorry, you gotta be happy one more week. But yeah, Shift is going to be great. We're starting that next week. So come back for that series. Make sure you're here for that. We are actually going to conclude, through three more weeks, conclude our study through the Gospel of Luke. Yeah, you guys don't even realize that you've done this, but over the last two and a half years, we've gone through the entire Gospel of Luke, on and off. So we're going to finish it up finally this year in May. So that's going to be great. Make sure you're here for next week's series. But today, we are going to conclude our series, How to Be Happy, with a message called Happy Ever After. Happy ever after. Doesn't that sound good? We love happy ever after or the adverbial form happily ever after. That's what we want. But we hear that phrase at the end of like, yeah, Disney movies, right? At the end of a fairy tale. Perhaps we we see it or or played out at the end of a romantic comedy, those rom-coms, right? Everything is going to go great after all the conflict and the tension and they split up and they get back together because the guy does something stupid to finally make it happily ever after, right? And we see that, and and it makes us feel good for a minute, right, at the end of those movies, and then that minute is over. (laughs) And we all know that happy ever after is just a fantasy, right? Just a fantasy. Well, that's what our world tells us, that happy ever after is just a fantasy. And I think um, the Maroon 5 song summed it up pretty well. Do you remember this song? Sam's going to sing it for you. No, I'm kidding. Okay, happy ever after. Uh, Their song um, includes these lines. The song Payphone. It says, if happy ever after did exist, I would still be holding you like this. And all those fairy tales are full of it. Guess what it actually is. One more effing love song, I'll be sick. That's the words of it, okay, from somebody who wrote like half of the love songs of the last two decades, right? He's like, okay, happy ever after, it doesn't exist. That's what that song is telling us, right? And that's how we all feel. Like it's great idea and concept, and then it's gone. We all long for it, but it's not here. And I believe that that longing we have is really maybe the deepest and truest thing in our hearts for happy ever after. We want it. We don't just want a happy life We want a happy forever, don't we? I do. And what we're going to learn today, that happy ever after is not possible. It is a fantasy unless you know God. Because with God, happy ever after is a reality. God makes happy ever after a reality. That's what we're going to learn today. And we're going to see how he does that in five different ways. In five different ways in this series. Because this is what we all really want (laughs) The happy ever after. So how can that actually happen? How can that actually happen? Um, And and that longing we have in our hearts, you know, I'm going to probably quote C.S. Lewis a couple different times in this message. Um, I love C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors. That's okay, Dave. Is that all right? I got permission. But but he talks a lot about this sense. He has a whole book called Surprised by Joy, and he talks about joy as the sense of longing in our hearts. That we have this deep longing, like even when you watch a great movie, like a rom-com, if that's your thing, or you read a great book, or you see great art, you hear an awesome song, and you feel that sense. Often he says we call it beauty, but it's not really beauty. It's the longing for something. It's a song that we haven't even heard yet, a flower we haven't even smelled. It's news from a country that none of us have even been to. 
And that sense of longing, the Germans call Senschrift. I probably mispronounced that. Anna, you can correct me after the service. Anna's from Germany. But, but that idea of the longing of our hearts, that is the true sense of happiness. And, and we might get just tastes here and there in this life. But what it's telling us is that there is another life, that there is a better country, as the author of Hebrews says. And it's there that we can have happy ever after because God makes happy ever after a reality. So five ways we're going to learn today. Five ways we're going to learn today. If you're taking notes, if you have the version Bible app on your phone, you can find our event and see right there. You can take the notes for the series or, or if you have pen, I see, I see some people up here with your pens out. That's awesome. We have some Bibles available in the back and, and we have these Bibles available all the time. If you ever need one, just take it. It's yours. It's a gift. We have them in Spanish and in English. Just like take one. Okay. We want you to have a Bible. Okay, um, so we're going to do that. And I did, before we jump into our message today, I wanted to review a little bit about where we've been because I know some of you have missed some, some of this series, maybe missed all of it. This is your first time here. So this series, How to Be Happy, we've been talking about it because a lot of people are like, wait, God wants you to be happy? Like, yes, that was what we learned in week one. God wants you to be happy, truly happy. And then in week two, we saw that um, lasting happiness is not found in sin. It's only found in him, in God. Like sin cannot bring you lasting happiness, only God can. And then in week three, Melissa was up here for Mother's Day and together we, we taught you guys that helping others makes us happy. It's a very simple way to make yourself happy is to serve others. That our selflessness actually fulfills that desire that we have in our hearts to be happy. Serving others makes us happy. And then um, we, we talked, of, there was a week four in there. Let me make sure I get this for you guys. Anybody remember week four? Week four, it was about sadness when we're sad, that we can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. You remember that message? And I gave you a very simple way to remember that, S-A-D, sad. Sit in your sadness, act before you feel, and depend on the Spirit. And that's a way that you can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And then last week, Jimmy gave a knockout message that the gospel makes us happy. That's why we need to spread the good news around the world so the nations could be glad as it says in the Psalms. So today we're going to be in Psalm chapter 16. Actually, it's just Psalm 16. It's not really chapters. Psalm 16, if you get there in your Bible or on the smartphone under our Rise Church Denver event, and we're going to learn the five ways that God makes happy ever after a reality. And the first one is through God's provision. We got five Ps today. I'm really trying to help you guys remember this, right? Five Ps, God's provision, okay? His provision, what he provides for us. So this psalm is a psalm that David wrote. King David, yes, he was an incredible musician. Verse 1, he says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. So David is just acknowledging this. He we don't know when he wrote this. You know, he was just a little shepherd boy, slayed the giant, became the king, had a rebellion against him, became king again. So he, he kind of went through all over things. He had some amazing ups and amazing downs in his life, like everything in between as well. So we don't know when he wrote this psalm, but he's saying he's praying for safety. So there may be some hard things going, or maybe he's expecting some hard things coming. But even in that, as he's praying, he says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. No good thing. He's saying that every single thing that he has in his life comes from God. Did you get that? So what he's saying at the very beginning is all the good things I have are from God. 
God has provided them to me. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift, as Jesus' brother James would write in James 1.17. Whatever is good and perfect, it says in James 1.17, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father. Every good thing you have in your life is from God. Everything. And God is, is the one like a primary giver because he gave us the sunset and the sunrise. You see that and you're amazed. God gave you that. When we look west every day here in Colorado and we're blown away, we have God to thank, right? When we wake up in the morning and breathe in some air, we could thank God for that. God gives us things as the primary giver, but he also gives us things as a secondary giver. When we enjoy a good meal that somebody made for us, well, God gave that person the brain and the hands to make that meal. Okay, hallelujah, right? When you watch your favorite sporting event in 4K on your TV, right? God made, gave somebody the brains to put together those LEDs and those tiny little pixels on your TV so that you can watch what's going on that looks even better than the $200 ticket you paid to go in person, right? Yeah. That is a gift from God. And you should receive it as a gift because God's provision is from him. And I say this because some of you, um, maybe you're an unbeliever or maybe you just haven't really thought about it in your life, but every single thing you have that's good is from God. And you need to thank him for that. That's how we become happy is when we thank God for it. Now, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that thankfulness, the studies are showing that showing gratitude actually makes us happy when we say thank you, makes them happy and us happy. But the problem is for a lot of people is they have good things happen in their life and they have no one to thank. Thank the universe, thank this immaterial force out there. No, 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 it's from God. And I'm telling you this because you might feel grateful and you might say, I am thankful for. People write that in their gratitude journal and they don't even have someone they're thanking. We do. As followers of Jesus, we know that God, our Father, gave us those gifts, and we need to thank him for it. And it actually makes our happiness even more complete as we thank him for every good and perfect gift that we have. So I want to encourage you guys to do that. You want to be happy? Thank God for his provision in your life, that he gives you gifts, many gifts. So that, that's for people that are they're maybe unbelievers or really haven't thought through their, their belief system. But there are some of you in here that are Christians, and you still don't do this. There's this weird undercurrent among Christians, and it's gone back centuries and centuries that are like, um, we, we have to be spiritual, and we can't enjoy anything in life. You know what I'm talking about? Sour Christians. Mm. I believe in God, so I'm not happy. And I'm not supposed to be happy because I'm only supposed to be spiritual, okay? Let me tell you this. You do not need to be more spiritual than the scriptures. You do not have to be better than the Bible, let me tell you what the scriptures actually say. I want you to show you this scripture in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 3.12, it says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Did you read that? You don't need to be better than the Bible. You don't need to be holier than the holy book, okay? You can enjoy the things God gives you, the food and the drink. Did you read that? I read that. I didn't write it. God did, okay? That we should enjoy the things he gives us. And there is a way to enjoy every single thing God gives us 
without sinning, okay? There is a line, we've talked about this before, that crosses over into excess, crosses over into sin. But with everything he has given us, food, drink, sex, God has given it to us for our enjoyment and our happiness. I just need to say this, okay? God wants you to be happy. And if you want to be happy, you have to enjoy the things he gives you, to celebrate them, to savor them, to savor them with your friends, with other people. And it's actually for that reason that that David, I think, gives us the second thing that we can be happy for. God's people. God's people. This is one of the things God gives us so that we can have happy ever after. His people. His people. I want you to see this with me in verse 3, because some of you are only thinking of like the sour Christians, right? Okay, don't worry, there's good Christians too. Verse 3. David says, I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my what? Delight. My happiness comes from God's holy people. Some of us have only had interactions with Christians who are mean, judgmental, hypocritical, and sour. I'm sorry. I apologize. Hope we're a little bit better here, okay? We're working on it. We are hypocrites. We're working on it, okay? We're working on it. But what David is telling us is that the God's people around us actually help us become happy. I think it's the same reason why in Psalm 133, David just like has this exclamation, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's a beautiful thing, David is saying. It's incredible when we can be around other people and share our deepest beliefs, the most important thing in our hearts, that we love God and we love his son, Jesus Christ. We share that. And because of that, we can have happiness Together, we can have encouragement. And like our community group, we got together this last week and it was kind of our end of the semester shebang. And we went to the park and we had food and the kids played and it was a blast. I'm like, man, that is the happiness that we can experience through God's people. And I hope some of you guys are in those community groups. You take advantage of the groups in our church because we cannot be happy on our own. And this is so important because some of you are severely lonely right now. We are in a loneliness epidemic. It was bad before the pandemic. Pandemic made it a thousand times worse. People have been distanced from relationships. And it's our connections that actually help us become happy. Lots of studies are showing this kind of stuff to be true. Lots of studies. There was um, a study, and it was titled Very Happy People. Don't you like the name of that study? by some psychologists, and they wanted to study the 10% of people that are the happiest. Why are those people the happiest? And it wasn't how much money they made, wasn't their careers, it wasn't where they lived. The 10% of people that are the happiness had the strongest personal connections with other human beings. It's our relationships that help us become happy. We need other people. And if you're online right now and you have no church community, okay, you need it. You need it. And it's tough when I'm like telling you guys this right as community groups are like ending for the semester, right? But you can join Dave on Saturday mornings for our men's Bible studies right here, right? Yeah, okay. You can join us. We have some community going through the summer, even if your community group might not be meeting regularly. We have a women's Bible study that's going to be meeting monthly through the summer. You can find out some information online for that. But these are some great way to keep up those connections. And I'm going to give you guys a challenge because summer is coming up. You guys are going to be moving, traveling, busy, doing all sorts of different things, right? I want to challenge you to make three connections this summer. That might not sound, a much, sound like much, but you need it, okay? Some of you are like, there's no way I can do three. Yes, you can. Three connections with other believers in this church, okay? 
if you're like, I don't know anybody, we'll get to know some people. You're online. We have online groups. No, seriously. We know some of you guys don't even live in the Denver area. We want you in an online community group. That's what church is for. Church is not a podcast. Can I say that? Church is not a podcast. It's a community. So even if you're online every single weekend, we love you. We want you to keep being part of our community. We have online groups for you. We even have some people that watch online every Sunday and are in a community group in person during the week. Isn't that interesting? I think that's cool. I think that's cool because it's about the community, about the relationships, that we need those relationships. And what's amazing is that, yes, secular studies show that close personal bonds help us become healthier and happier, but it's Christian bonds that are even more powerful than just a friendship. No, seriously. The November issue of Christianity Today, and I have it up in my office, I forgot to grab it down. The, Christ, the, the issue, everybody should read this, because the title of the issue, and it was the main article, was Empty Pews Are an American Public Health Crisis. People are so worried about mental health right now, about loneliness, about all these things. And, and these researchers, sociologists, were like, study after study are showing now that it's because churches are emptying out, and they are. Less and less people are going to church than ever before. In the pandemic, one-third of all Christians, regular churchgoers, stopped going anywhere. Not even online. They just stopped going completely. And they're saying it's resulting in a public health crisis in our country. And they had all sorts of studies, some that they had conducted and others that they shared about the research. And I just want to read a few of the things that they found in their research. That for those who go to church regularly, and I say that because it's like, even if you're online, you still have some community, right? You have some relationship. So if you do that on about a weekly basis, and we know... Like, I don't know the exact numbers. Each study has a little bit different. But people who regularly are committed to a church community, that they are 29% less likely to be depressed. That they are 50% less likely to be divorced. They are five times less likely to commit suicide. It's even a stronger effect for teenagers. We've talked a lot over the last couple of years how our teenagers, our adolescents, are in a mental health crisis. For teenagers, all those effects are multiplied. It's even stronger. I don't understand why not every teenager is in church. Like parents, I'm talking to you, okay? If you care about the health of your children, get them in a church community. They need friends. I'm saying this. It's important for their mental health, their physical health, their spiritual health. Stronger for teenagers. It, it even affects deaths of despair. We've talked about this a bit. This is deaths by suicide, overdose, or alcohol abuse. And those um, are lowered by 68% in women who go to church regularly and 33% in men who go to church regularly. Their studies show that those who are regular churchgoers live longer, have less depression, less suicide, less likely to have substance abuse, they recover from cancer and uh, cardiovascular issues quicker. They're less likely to get divorced. They have greater social support, greater meaning in life, greater life satisfaction. They volunteer more, and they're more likely to be civically engaged. It's almost like it's good for you to go to church. Yeah, thanks for the laugh on that. It's crazy, right? And most of those aren't even Christian studies. They're just like, this is the reality. This is the reality of our world. And I think that's why God gave us his people. We are not supposed to do life alone. 
You are not supposed to do life alone. You need friends. You need community. It's not like, oh, I'll do it later when I'm less busy. No, you need it. So I know I'm saying that right as community groups are coming to an end. But I want you right now, because some of you are long-term planners, right now commit that in September when our community groups launch again that you're going to be in one. And I say this knowing that some of you travel and you're like, I can only be there once a month. Get there once a month. Get to know these people and get some relationships and build some people that you can talk to. And guess what? Even if you're saying, I don't need it, they need you, okay? They need you. So we need to say God's people are here for our happiness and commit to that community. So can you guys take up that challenge three times this summer? Three times. Let's make three relationships, okay? I don't even care if it's three different people or one person three times. I don't care. Just three times get together with people in our church. Hang around afterwards. Grab a donut and just say, hey, who are you? I want to know. I need a friend, okay? We can do that, right? Let's just be socially awkward for a little bit. It's really hard to make friends as an adult. Can we just admit that, right? It's awkward. Embrace the awkwardness, and you'll get over it eventually, okay? We're just saying that. So here's our second thing. We need God's people if we want to be happy ever after. And the third thing, God's portion. God's portion. I want you guys to see this from the psalm itself. David says in verse 4 of Psalm 16, he says, Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods. He's not going to offer sacrifices. Or take up their names on my lips. I'm going to worship one God and one God only. So, so this is important. He says there are no other gods that can make you happy. Nothing else in the entire universe can make you happy. And I think that's important because sometimes we confuse God's gifts with the giver. And we worship the gift instead of the giver. That's idolatry. We're so grateful for the things in our life, even relationships, even stuff, and we worship those things. And David's like, you can't do that. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, do not, do not let your happiness depend on something you may lose. And guess what? Every person in your life, everything in your life, you can and probably will lose at some point. But you'll never lose God. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He will be there by your side every day of your life. At your worst and at your best, he's there. So that's why we worship him, because he'll never leave us. He's the source of our happiness, even when everything else goes away. And that's why David says next in verse 5, he says, Lord, you alone are my portion in my cup. You make my lot secure. This is interesting. That, that word portion could be translated as like a portion of food, or it could be like the portion of the land you have. And that's what I think it is based on the context here. This was a big deal to ancient Israelites because you lived off the land. If you had good land, then you could farm that land, and then you'd have food to eat for your family. It was your business. It was your livelihood. So if you had a good parcel of land, you were taken care of. Land was a huge deal. If you read through the Old Testament, it's like land, 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 land all the time because land was such a big deal. They went to the promised land. They divided up the land among all the 12 tribes. Everybody had their land. Even if you sold your land at the end of a certain amount of time period, you were supposed to get the land back. Is their portion. But David isn't saying, I have good land, although he does say that in a minute. He's saying that you are my land. You're my portion, God. You're my cup. You're what I need to sustain me, to eat, to have a livelihood. You're everything I need. This is so fascinating. It's not about just the things God gives us, because God gives us himself. And it's having that relationship with God 
that is all we really need in our lives. It's God's portion that makes us happy because God will never leave us. God will never forsake us. God offers those who put their faith in Jesus Christ forgiveness for all their sins. Their past is taken away from them. They're given new hope and a new life for the future. They're adopted as his children. Now, this is amazing because if you are a child, guess how many kids are worried about the Excel bill going up right now? Any of you? No? You don't worry about inflation? You don't worry about the bills? Okay, you don't as a kid, right? Because you have a dad or a mom that takes care of you. We have a father in heaven who takes care of us. We worry about so many things, but God's like, I got this. I'll take care of you. God himself is with us. If you're the little kid and you're like, dad, you got this. Kids don't worry about that stuff, right? It's only us foolish adults who do. See, God makes us happy because he is our portion. He is our God. We have a relationship directly with him. He's with us always. We can always tap into that at any time. God is everything we need. So that's our third point, that God is our portion. And God's portion makes us happy. And the fourth thing is God's providence. God's providence. This is different than his provision, okay? I know the words might confuse you, right? His provision is what he provides you. His providence is how he superintends and is in charge of everything that happens in your life. That's why David, right after saying, God, you're my portion, in verse 6, he says, yeah, but I, but I do have a pretty good lot of land. He's like, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. This is the king. It's like, I've had some really good things come to me. I was just a lowly shepherd boy in this small town named Bethlehem, and now I'm the king. He's like, how can I not say I have some good things that God has brought about through his divine sovereignty? Because it wasn't Saul's son who became king. God anointed David. Saul was tall. David wasn't tall. We're not told he's short. I don't know if you guys knew that, but he wasn't tall like Saul. He didn't look like a king. Whenever he saw Saul, they're like, wow, what a king. But David wasn't, but God still picked him. See, God chooses us and works out our life and the circumstances of our life, leading us down a path to the way that God wants us to go. That's his providence. And where God has led us and placed us and the time that he has put us in is from God for our happiness. All these different ways that God works out. There's no such thing as a coincidence. There's only providence. God works it all out in your life. And I'm saying this because if some of you had been born a couple hundred years ago, like, and you had to hunt and gather your own food, you'd be dead. Right? Yeah, amen. <laughs> we were in Utah last week uh, up at the, the cabin um, Melissa's dad and I uh, built, and we were looking out the window, or, or McKinley was looking out the window, our five and a half year old, and she's like, there's an ostrich. We're like, what? So we all look, and there's a turkey out there. I mean, she'd never seen a turkey in the wild, right? And we're like, oh, yeah, there's a turkey. And we were watching it. It was kind of cool to see this little turkey out there in the wild. And I was just, I was looking at it, and this is a weird thought to have in my head. And I was like, could I, like, wring that turkey's neck? If, like, if I had to, if we were, like, up here, and I, could I kill that turkey? Could I pluck its feathers and then cook a turkey dinner from it? I was like, I think I could. Like, I, really, I was like, it might be a little tough to catch that thing, right? But I think once I got it, I think I could do it. But, but it's like, I don't know about the plucking the feathers thing. Some of you guys are hunters, and you're like, oh, come on, Matt. Sorry, guys. But, but some of you are like, there's no way I could ever do that in a million years. In a million years, I couldn't do it. Aren't you glad you live in a, in a day and age where you can type into your phone and 15 minutes later have DoorDash come to your door, <laughs> delivering you an impossible burger that tastes like a burger and isn't even real meat? Yeah, we got a vegetarian here in the front row, praising God, right? 
This is the day and age we live in. Hunting and gathering, you guys would fail. Aren't you glad God placed you in the time and place he has? That's something to be happy for. Instead of complaining about all the trolls on the internet. Oh my gosh, Twitter's so boring. Like, okay, you're on there. Get off if it's boring, okay? We live in an incredible day and age and many things in our life. And some of you are like, well, Matt, I've had some real bad things happen in my life. Go back to message four in our series, when you're sad. And yes, that happens, but even those things, God is working in them for your good. For your good. Just wanna tell you that his providence is here to make us happy. That's our fourth point today. And the fifth point, this one's good. I almost preached this whole psalm. This is like my favorite psalm right now. It might change in the future, but right now this is my favorite psalm. This is why I had to tell you guys about this psalm. But this fifth one, this is so good. God's presence. God's presence, his very presence is here to make us happy ever after. Verse seven, David says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. He's like, God is with me. He had the Holy Spirit. And we know that we as believers have the Holy Spirit to be with us and guide us and counsel us, to lead us in moments. You feel that tug on your heart, I need to do this? Yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. The conviction, I shouldn't be doing that, that's the Holy Spirit. God's with you, his presence. He's guiding you. And it's interesting, David says, at my right hand is God. Okay, the right hand was where like the helper went. In a battle, the right hand person was there to like have a shield to defend the king, right? was the second in command almost in a sense. But David is saying, God is willing to be at our right hand. He's like, I got you. I'm your wingman. God is our wingman. Yeah, that's great. God is with us. His presence is with us in every moment. And this, man, these, these last few verses are my favorite, okay? I want you guys to focus on these. David says this, verse nine, therefore, my heart is glad, I'm happy, and my tongue rejoices my body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. In verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. See, now God is saying, now you're gonna be at my right hand. Because God has the presence of joy, the presence of happiness, the presence even of pleasure. It's all from him and his presence. Have you ever experienced the presence of God like this? And it almost feels like your heart is gonna explode because of how good it is. Have you ever experienced this? If you haven't, I say, taste and see that the Lord is good. In a moment of prayer, in a moment of worship, at the top of a mountain when you're just amazed, that's God and his presence. And that feeling, we get a taste now, but David is looking forward and he's saying, We'll have that as a feast forever after. Forever and ever. This uh, section from verse eight to 11 is quoted a couple different times in the New Testament. Peter, when he's preaching, he quotes this verse. Same with Paul later in the book of Acts. Especially that phrase, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Do you know who they were like, that verse is actually about? You guys know? Somebody said it, right? It's the, it's the Christian answer for every Sunday school question, right? What is it? Jesus. Jesus, thank you. Somebody, right? See, David wrote this that his body uh, will not see decay. 
that he will not be abandoned to the realm of the dead. Do you guys know what happened to David at the end of his life? He died, okay, in case you didn't know that, okay. He died. His body decayed. So he was looking forward to something that was coming. He knew that there was something better coming. Even when his son died, you know, his, his son that he had with Bathsheba, he dies, and he's like, one day I will go to him. He knew that there was something on the other side of the grave. And what Peter and Paul tell us is like, David knew that there would be one of his own descendants, one of David's own descendants who would come and would not be abandoned to the realm of the dead. And his body never would see decay. And Jesus absolutely and truly fulfilled this verse, didn't he? Because when Jesus died on the cross, in our place, being executed for our sins and the punishment that we deserve was taken upon him. When he died and was put in the ground, his body was only there three days. Not long enough to decay. And three days later, that same body that had been laid down in the tomb rose from the dead. And Jesus appeared to 500 people over the span of 40 days. They touched him. They ate meals with him. They celebrated with him. And in that physical body, Jesus ascended into heaven and he's in that body right now. And will one day come again. That's what the scriptures teach us. His body never was abandoned. It never saw decay. And what we're taught in the New Testament is that that is actually the first fruit that we will experience as well. If we believe in Jesus Christ, our physical bodies will be remade. And we look forward not to this like formless void that we will float around in his spirits, okay? That's not scripture. The scriptures teach us that we will be given a new body and heaven itself will come down and there will be a new heaven and a new earth that will be combined as one. And that's where we will reign forever in our bodies. That's our hope. That's what we look forward to in the future. And I look forward to it because the thing we miss out on in this life, we will not get to travel to every single cool place in this, this world, right? You just can't. No matter how much you travel for the rest of your life, you won't see it all. But we got the new heavens and the new earth, eternity to check it out. The things that we don't get to experience in this life, like I wish I could do this, maybe we'll get to experience that in heaven. And this is very good news because it means that we will be given new bodies that won't break down, won't decay, that we will be able to sing and to dance, and we're going to be dancing even if we can't dance, and you're like me, right? We're going to dance, and we're not even going to care because we are accepted by God himself. His presence is there, and we're accepted forever. Nobody's going to be laughing at us. They're going to be laughing with us because it's so much fun. We're going to look around, and there are going to be people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation in heaven around the lamb and around the throne, worshiping him. Then the barriers of our languages, the barriers of our skin colors, the barriers of our nationalities, none of those will be there. They will all be torn down. And we'll be able to worship together because God's presence is there and God is love. How can we hate or discriminate ever again? That we will be in heaven too. And there won't be any more evil. No more shootings. No more threats like what happened in Northfield this week. Parents, I know some of you are really concerned about that. The fear of our children. What could happen to them? We won't ever have to be afraid again. Because there will be no more violence. No more pain. There will only be healing for the nations. Because God is light and in him is no darkness. We will be remade so we can never sin again. That sounds good, doesn't it? We will never sin against each other or hurt each other or say awful things about each other or commit violence against each other. There will only be peace and there will only be light, no darkness, because the lamb is our lamp. 
That's what it tells us in the scriptures. We want a happy ever after. And David is telling us that God makes happy ever after a reality when you believe in him. See why I love this psalm? I love it. Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life, happiness here, and you fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. God is saying that, that he has happiness for us through his provision, through his people, through his portion, through his providence, and through his presence. And those five things are so important for us to recognize because they all are just given in tastes now. Let's admit it. Sometimes we don't feel happy ever after. We have a happiness for a moment and it ends. We have a longing. We feel great. We feel our heart explode in our chest and then a moment later it's gone. That's what this life is like, isn't it? But one day we will have the fullness. So I challenge you, seek after those four tastes now. Seek after God. Seek after the happiness he provides us in those things that he's given us. And seek after them in him, the giver himself. And I say that because, we, you know, I hope that your heart got excited when we talked about how amazing heaven would be. Some of you don't even believe you're like, that sounds so good. I wish it were true. Okay. Well, it is true. And let me tell you this, that we as a church are striving to make that happen as much as possible now. To give in more and more foretastes of it. That we can be a community that loves each other as Christ loved us. That we can serve each other as Christ loved us and served us and gave his life for us. And I say that because we want to be a community of peace that's, that we're the peacemakers in our world. So even if there's violence and hatred going around all around us and our nation is divided, we're not gonna be divided here. We're gonna be united around Jesus. We're gonna be united. And that's why um, even if there's racial divides or, or nationality divides or, or concerns about the border and all that stuff, okay, we don't care. Because here, we're gonna be an every nation congregation. And we're gonna seek after that even when it's hard. Thank you guys for leading that song in Spanish this morning. Like we want four tastes of that now. And, and that idea of peace and love, like I want us to experience that more and more, not just on Sunday mornings but throughout the week as we develop real relationships with people in our church, that we have those friendships, those people that come around us and we taste just a little bit. It's a foretaste, maybe just an appetizer or even an amuse-bouche, right? A tiny little bit you get, that bite. Sometimes that's all it is, but let's keep tasting it. Let's keep going after it because one day we will have the whole feast where there's eternal pleasures at God's right hand, eternal pleasures, happiness forevermore because God makes happy ever after a reality.